This is the Best Friends Podcast, dedicated to sharing the people and programs that are ending the killing of cats and dogs in America's animal shelters. You'll hear from animal welfare leaders from across the movement who will share the innovative and collaborative work that are creating life-saving successes in communities of all sizes. Hello and welcome to the Best Friends Podcast. Today is December the 1st. My name is John Dunn. Hope you had an awesome Thanksgiving, and I know you didn't ask, but if you are wondering what to get me for Christmas, it's the easiest gift ever. Just share this podcast with everyone you know. The website is bestfriends.org slash podcast. That's the link to use on social media, in email, text, wherever. Just share bestfriends.org slash podcast. I imagine you'll agree with me when I say this is a time when it feels like the winds are scarce. And I think we all need some good news right now. And while this particular piece of good news might not directly affect the people and pets where you live, it is one of a number of very good signs that things are being done to address the housing crisis. It's affecting millions of Americans. And of course, as we know, when something like housing is affecting people, it will put pets at risk as well. Back in December of 2020, just two years ago, the ASPCA released data that showed more than 19 million pets were living in households at risk of eviction or foreclosure. 19 million pets. Things certainly haven't improved since then. According to most experts at the highest level, this is really an issue rooted in a lack of available homes. There just aren't enough places to live. We're millions short of what we need across America, so the overwhelming demand and short supply, it's driven prices up. And in the case of rentals, the data shows a lot of landlords are not letting this moment pass by. The average monthly rent for a one-bedroom apartment in New Mexico went up 40% since the start of the pandemic lockdown. This is according to Apartment List. They say Idaho, their one-bedroom rent up 37%, Delaware 32 In all, 46 states saw rents for one-bedrooms increase more than 10% for that same time period. Buying a house certainly isn't any easier. The interest rates alone, the 30-year fixed rate is more than doubled in the last year. It's a complex problem to be sure. And state and local governments across the country are debating bills and ordinances that are seeking to address some of the problems that exist right now. Rent control, more protection for tenants, zoning, other reforms. Those all may have positive impacts, but they aren't always pet inclusive, meaning those reforms may not help pet owners in need of housing. You can control rents to whatever low level you want, but if a severely restricted breed policy is in place, the human-animal bond is still in danger of being broken as people have to make unimaginable choices. So to the good news, in September, California's governor signed Senate Bill 971, a measure designed to increase access to housing for low-income pet owners. To learn more about the bill and to talk about the housing crisis facing pet owners overall, we spoke with Elizabeth Oreck, the National Manager of Housing Initiatives for Best Friends. Well, let's start with the most basic question, Elizabeth. What is California Senate Bill 971, and what makes it so good for people and pets in California? So Senate Bill 971 is a bill to improve access to rental housing for California's low-income pet owners. So this was a bill sponsored by Senator Josh Newman. Um, He's out of Fullerton in California. And what it does is require that all new housing financed with low income housing tax credits to accept a resident who owns one or more household common pets. So dogs, cats, rabbits, and also to direct these housing developments, as well as those financed through the Department of Housing and Community Development, to have pet inclusive policies that do not have breed 
or weight restrictions and do not require tenants to pay monthly pet fees on top of regular monthly rent and security deposits. And that's a big deal because that's something that can be very burdensome for pet owners, especially low-income pet owners, to have to pay monthly pet fees on top of just their regular rent and security deposit. So just to repeat back, make sure I have it right. This is only for new housing development projects. So someone, a developer saying, hey, I want to build a new apartment building. Uh, I want these tax credits. They now have to ensure that their housing policy is pet inclusive. Right. Well, there's already some restrictions on prohibiting pets in California housing. But what this is really going to do is incentivize developers to build housing that is pet inclusive um, because they're going to get those those tax credits. So it's protecting vulnerable people and their pets because right now in California, as well as really everywhere across the country, there is such a shortage of affordable housing. And then if you layer on top of that, the shortage of pet inclusive affordable housing, it's really putting vulnerable people in this position of having to make the heartbreaking decision of choosing between their beloved family member and having a safe place to call home. And nobody should have to make that decision. Everyone deserves safe, healthy housing. Everyone deserves to have a pet to love. Every pet deserves a home. And so to keep pets out of shelters and keep families together, we have to keep people housed. And this is a way of helping keep people and their pets housed in California. The potential outcome of legislation like this, as you just mentioned, obviously the important part for us is that it's going to keep pets out of shelters, preventing people from having to make those unfathomable decisions is there any understanding of just how many people and pets this could impact in California? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know how we could do that, I suppose, but it, can we project at all how many pets might not have to enter shelters in the future because of this? So three quarters of renters in California are pet owners. So if you think about just the sheer numbers of people in California three quarters of those are renters um, with, or three quarters of those renters are pet owners. That's a lot of people and pets. And that's a lot of pets that are at risk of ending up in shelters if they can't find a place to live. And so it's, it's an extraordinary number of people and pets at risk. And so this is a really important bill. It, it doesn't sound like a very sexy bill when you're talking about legislation, but it really is impacting a lot of people at a time when people are already so vulnerable. I mean, we're all vulnerable, the economy and the pandemic and the shortage of affordable housing. It's really impacting a lot of people across the country. And this is something that's gonna help a lot of people in California. What was the support like for this bill? I mean, I imagine fairly unanimous support, hopefully, from the animal welfare world. I know the partnerships we've been able to forge with housing organizations like Catholic Charities. You know, the last time you were on the podcast, I think, episode, I don't remember, link in the show notes. But we do see folks outside of animal welfare, you know, the housing organizations and others. Are, are they stepping up to support these kind of bills? Absolutely. Uh, and, and support among elected officials as well. And I think it's because people really recognize that the value that pets have in people's lives and that you you can't they're not mutually exclusive you can't separate families by you know species and so if you are protecting people's families you are protecting 
the people and the pets within those families. And I think there's very real data that shows that people will often choose not to accept the services that they need for themselves if it means having to surrender their pet or separate from their pet. There have been a lot of studies in California that show that people would rather live in their cars or live in the streets than have to give up their pets in order to go to a you know, a homeless shelter or um, get a, a roof over their head or even accept permanent housing. And so I think that that's become much more um, mainstream in terms of why these issues are so important, why these policies are so important. And that's why you're seeing um, programs that give grants to homeless shelters that become pet inclusive, that allow people to bring their pets, things like that. And so this whole idea of which end of the leash is really becoming kind of moot because the leash is, you know, that both ends of the leash need to be served. And that means providing safe, healthy housing for people and their pets. Well, at least one person listening to this is saying, wow, cool, awesome, but that's California. I'm in Vermont, Illinois, Texas. I really want to do something like this, you know, where I am. What advice do you have for them, Elizabeth? Is this something you consider to be a model that, you know, they can take this bill, this language and just say, you know, go to their lawmakers and say, hey, look at this. Let's do that here. I mean, it may not be an exact fit because every state has different laws. They have different housing programs. They have different housing agencies. But I would say that the problem is everywhere. This idea that there isn't enough low income um, affordable housing, there isn't enough pet inclusive housing, there isn't enough affordable pet inclusive housing. And that's something that needs to be fixed everywhere. So I would say that going to your state representative, whether it's your senator or your representative, and saying, look, that, you know, we need to do something that is going to provide more healthy housing for pets and their families is going to be important. And what kind of model language can you support? Can you introduce? Can you sponsor that would make sense for our state? And that's going to require a little re- a little research about what already exists in your state. Maybe it's something at the county level. Maybe it's something at the city level. There may be opportunities to not even go the legislative route, but to just partner uh, shelters and housing providers together to see like the Catholic Charities program that we are doing in Spokane, Washington, to see where there are opportunities to intersect, to help bring the services together that are already being offered for pets through the shelters and for people through the housing providers and see where they can work together and Um, provide those services for the entire family more holistically than just, you know, one or the other. So I would say, look at, look at what the problem is in your community and think about what's the most logical and easy fix. Is it just a community program or is it a legislative fix? This is one of these issues of ours that affects people and pets. And it's really an opportunity to partner in a broader sense, you know, and I think, the more support you have for something when it comes to politics, the better chance you have of getting it passed, right? So it doesn't matter where you live. There are organizations right now working on housing issues, you know, in your local community at the state level. Uh, they may have not keyed into the pet part of this equation yet, but they're working on this stuff. They know it inside and out. They may have lobbyists. So for folks who are just getting going on this and trying to figure out how to get started, you know, maybe it is just simply 
Googling housing advocacy groups, find out what's happening in your community, what they're working on, uh, see what awareness they have for the pet part of the issue and understand maybe ways that you can partner with them. Well, and the thing is, I mean, I think that those groups, they have their clients, they have their human clients, they see the value. It's not a tough sell. They see the value that pets provide to their clients, right? They're going to see that it helps ground people who are vulnerable, who may not have any other connection with the outside world. These pets are often lifelines for people. They're often the reason that people get up in the morning. And so I don't think it's going to be a difficult sell, you know, to work with housing providers to help take care of the pets of their clients. I think that the other thing that elected officials often don't think about is the fiscal implications of people having to give up their pets in order to find safe housing means that those pets are ending up in shelters. Those shelters are often subsidized by taxes. And I mean, nobody wants to see their taxes going toward the housing and often the euthanasia of pets and shelters. That's just not a great way to spend state budgets or local budgets. Wouldn't you rather spend that money on more affordable housing or more, you know, fire department support or any of those other things. Nobody wants to spend money having to kill animals in shelters. And yet that is the reality. If the shelters end up being flooded with surrendered pets and housing issues are the number one reason that people do surrender their pets, they cite landlord issues, they cite burdensome pet fees, they cite not being able to find a pet inclusive apartment or house rental. That's a big issue. Everyone is struggling with their budgets right now. Every state is trying to figure out how to stretch the the resources that they have to serve their constituents. So that can be a very compelling point to make when you're talking to policymakers about why it's so important to serve the pets of their community as well as the the humans of their community. So good news then in California with SB 971, but where are we overall, would you say, with the housing issue? You know, things are not the way they should be. I think regardless of political affiliation, I think we could all agree that things are not the way they should be. There's not enough housing. There's not enough affordable housing. There's not enough pet inclusive housing. There may be disagreements on what the solution should be, but are we seeing meaningful traction and and maybe starting to see that light at the end of the tunnel? You know, are things getting better? I mean, I guess you have to define better. So is the problem itself, the core issue getting better? No. I mean, realistically, it's not. There, The affordable housing crisis has just been escalating as the economy has faced challenges and this pandemic and the job. I mean, all of these things, we're in a really, really tough time right now. But what is getting better is the recognition that this is something we need to address. And to me, that's the biggest hurdle to get over is helping people understand the value of pets. And when I say people, I'm not talking about, you know, our people, I'm talking about policymakers and elected officials and and the people who we need to recognize that pets are just a critical part of all of our lives and a critical part of the community and a critical part of people's well-being and and health and, and all of that. And so the fact that this is even being considered in state legislatures, that there is a bill in uh, pending in the federal government that would provide grants to uh, human housing providers that offer temporary housing, that all of that is 
very, very makes me very optimistic that we're we're on the right path. And all these bills being introduced, and um, a lot of the breed discrimination bills that are removing breed from consideration in legislation and in housing policies. I think that's a really good sign that that we're on we're on track to um, to eliminating these barriers that are causing pets to end up in shelters. I don't know what it is about the human condition, but it does seem that sometimes it takes a very serious crisis for us to realize that we do need to change. Just sitting here talking through this with you, it made me think of Hurricane Katrina. So many people were stranded. You know, there are helicopters and boats and buses and, you know, all of these things happening to get folks to safety. And many of them wouldn't leave because they were being told, you need to get on that bus, but your dog can't come with you. I mean, just incredibly heartbreaking stories I remember from that time, but it was ultimately the spark for the passage of a federal law to address that. So I wish we could take action on things before they're at a critical breaking point like that, but that does seem to be the way of the world. And, you know, while it's a different kind of crisis than Katrina, you know, the housing issue is certainly a crisis. So yeah, I just hope we can continue to build what does seem to be momentum that's heading in the right direction. Yeah, I think so. And I think it's really, really important for every citizen, every voter, every constituent to contact their elected officials and communicate that this is important to them and that this is something that their elected official needs to take seriously. And it's, again, it's not a hard sell. It really, it's very logical. You don't have to care about pets in order to understand the importance of taking care of people's pets. It saves money if you're going to look at it in those kind of crude terms. It it helps people stay healthy. It helps people stay grounded. It, it keeps people safe. It keeps pets out of shelters, keeps taxes from being um, allocated to killing animals in shelters. I mean, there's just, there's no downside to this. So the important thing is to just make your voice heard and make sure that you are advocating for whole communities and not just pets or people. Thank you to Bethany Hines, Kayla Sebo, Whitney Blyton, and Kim Clonch for helping to produce this program. My name is John Dunn, and this is the Best Friends Podcast.